Eudora Welty once wrote, Through travel, I first became aware of the outside world. It was through travel that I found my own introspective way into becoming a part of it. Well, today's show is about travel, introspection, and awareness. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. sound very introspective, but trust me, we're going to get there. That is the music of The Living, a band which featured my guest today on the program, Greg Gilmore. Let me tell you a little bit about The Living and Greg Gilmore. The French-born drummer Greg Gilmore landed in Seattle as a young man, and what better way to punctuate those formative teenage years than with a punk band? Joining forces with John Conte, Todd Fleischman, and Duff McKagan, Gilmore and his pals played speedbag punk that fell somewhere between The Clash and The Germs. They became local favorites, they opened for DOA in Vancouver and Seattle, and thanks to a quick studio session, they recorded seven tracks, which are now seeing the light of day for the first time. Released on Loose Groove Records, which is owned by Stone Gossard of Pearl Jam, and Regan Hagar of Satchel and Brad. The band's set is called The Living, 1982. The songs here are fast and dynamic, and they're played with a frenzied punk spirit and youthful momentum. Gossard puts it best when he says, it's a reminder that The Living are ground zero for the Seattle sound. Now, the idea to put these songs out came from Gilmore himself, who actually found the recordings. He says, The Living was the beginning of all things Seattle for me, a turning point in my life. I joined a band and a community. These guys are still my brothers. I've cherished these recordings since the days we made them. This record is a fantastic document of a loaded moment. I love it. Well, in music years, the living really were only around for about a moment. After the band broke up, McKagan and Gilmore landed in 10-minute warning, then the two pals went to L.A., McKagan ended up joining Guns N' Roses, and Gilmore headed back to Seattle, where he played with Skinyard. He later left that band and co-founded Mother Lovebone. After the death of Mother Lovebone singer Andrew Wood, Gilmore went on to collaborate with Seattle producing legend Jack Andino for a series of albums. He also played with Land, Doghead, Radio Chongqing, and Steve Fisk. As a drummer, Gilmore plays with thoughtful muscle. He's an introspective guy, and his playing has the perfect blend of cerebral athleticism. What you're about to hear is a very cerebral chat. I loved it. This was one of my all-time favorite conversations, so let's get right to it. Greg, he's something else. He's such a cool guy. You're going to love meeting him. Here he is, me 
and Greg Gilmore having a chat on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I'm still that way. I don't like being dragged backstage by my friends to see, you know, say go back and see their old bandmates. You might want to meet somebody, but then, at least in my case, it's, uh, but what am I going to, you know, what am I going to say? There's, we can uh, initiate yeah. a, well, well. Hey. I know. <laughs> Hey, I I've heard about you or something. I mean, <laughs> what do you what do you say? I don't know. I know I've I've found that those situations. Uh, it took me a long time to figure it out, but like those are best to be avoided. I think. It, for me, yeah, I agree. I for me the same. Just if something happens, you know, more organically, naturally, that's. That's, that's different, but yeah, to go uh, to try to, to create a moment, yeah, but it's not a, it's not going to happen. No, it also makes me wonder sometimes if someone says, "Oh, I met uh, I met so and so, and they were they were horrible," and it's like, "Well, what were they supposed to do? You know, <laughs> they don't know you." Exactly. You know, yeah, embrace you, take you in, ask you about the family. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. You have my records. Let me have a long hug. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. That all that all just rings of ace. All these pieces. One specific situation where I went out to see a show with a friend of mine, and it, the band was made up of some of his former bandmates from a previous band. And uh, they were all guys that I, you know, respect and admire and appreciate stuff they've done. But, um, uh, so he, you know, he's, let's go back. And I just, ah, no, no. And he's, yeah, yeah, come on. So I did. And, uh, oh my God, it was awful. <laughs> Because these guys, it was exactly that. Like, they weren't being rude, you know, but they just played a gig. There are other people there who they actually know and do have a history with. So may, you know, already have stuff to have a conversation about. And I'm just some guy standing there. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) What's up, man? Yeah. It's the most unnatural situation and you know i don't see how someone can do it well yeah but you know some do actually i think some do right they have that i kind of i envy that almost people who can walk into a situation like that and work it work it yeah 
Yeah, I know. It's not, uh, it's not an easy thing. Um, I mean, you seem like you have sort of consciously kept a kind of low profile professionally in the last 20, 25 years or so just doing your thing. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's conscious or, or, or not, but has, has that been something you sort of purposely pursued? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I've always had sort of one foot in one foot out and then of two minds about the business. Um, I it's obviously love to play, you know, music making what incredible. Um, a whole lot of that other stuff that goes along with it, though, is a challenge for me to enjoy <laughs> or, uh, you know, in some ways function effectively. So, um, yeah, um, semi-consciously, you know, and, and then partially just by nature, just by doing what I feel like doing. You know, I have been involved in, in, in music more in some ways than people know, probably like I, in the 90, in end of the 90s, early 2000s, put quite a bit of energy. I was playing a lot, but doing something that was, you know, definitely not commercially uh, viable, <laughs> but, you know, making music that I really dug, just doing a thing that I was into. So it has been a lot of that. And then, yeah, a lot of time spent just not doing music at all. Really got into computers also at the end of the 90s and programming and curiously found uh, that that gave me a similar kind of mental satisfaction to playing music. So they have a lot in common, right? those kinds of puzzles, logic. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I've done a lot of that too. In fact, a couple of, you know, real nine to five-ish, pretty tech, uh, nine to five ish regular corporate tech gigs. You know, I was going to say nine to five isn't exactly the hours you keep in that world, but yeah, sometimes it's quite a bit know, more. That idea, or that, or yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say that kind of the puzzle element of it kind of has that in so that sort of tech world and music have that in common. Um, did that surprise you that there that there was a through line? Yes. Yeah. I um, I hadn't really thought about it. I don't I don't think I uh, didn't expect it, but I I hadn't. It was just curious to and interesting when I realized that oh wow this is, is kind of the same. When I found myself at times preferring, you know, the thing computer programming you sit down by yourself and you don't have to deal with getting band together <laughs> yeah and 
it turns out, I think uh, there are a lot of, I mean, a lot of really good musicians in that world, like good, real players. And that's no coincidence. It's a similar kind of, um, from my perspective, uh, a similar sort of uh, the problem solving is in that you're uh, often trying to join two ideas together in a way that is um, seamless to make it seem completely natural that you move from here that you get from here to there. Um, it might be it's a little bit abstract, but it's at the core. That's what I what I felt about it. Why it was the similarity. And is what is the here to there element of say playing dr drums? I mean, is there when you sit? Oh yes, yeah. there is. Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah, every drum fill is about that. Is about uh, some some kind of uh, transition, some some kind of motion, some yeah. I don't know how else to put it, but it is uh, it is sometimes the uh, the spackle that ties it that, that helps to tie two pieces together. You know, a transition. Um, you could think of it as, uh, um, you know, guiding, uh, guiding the listener through, you know, the transition. I never thought about that sort of, it's almost like a mathematical element to playing drums. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's sort of puzzling. So it's interesting. It seems to me that it takes a certain kind of brain to play a certain kind of way. Um, like I'm thinking about someone like Ginger Baker. He was he was going here to there <laughs> quite a bit. I mean, there's a lot of problem yeah. solving happening there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it might be a bit narrow to to say that it's always uh, that every dr that every drum fill is uh, is a. Um, I remember what did I say about it? is that is that transition, right? Is that it? But, um, you know, there can also be a whole lot of uh, just a conversation, uh, you know, the statements. I have forever been a big Bill Bruford fan. I mean, just obsessively. And um, because his playing has so much of that in it, so much character and you you hear him playing like that often like just real a fixed chunk of drumming um which is what a lot of players are doing but but let's say in the case of uh the contrast with ginger baker who is doing that but in a more uh more free sort of of way less being uh, not so much focus on being uh, concise or articulate more primal yeah yeah
perhaps even feral. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it all, uh, all this soon devolves for me into, uh, I, um, I often wonder just what is drumming? <laughs> you know, it's the one instrument that is made up of just noises. And what is that? And why? Uh, um, we've all, uh, yeah, yeah. Why does it? Why does it make? Why does it make sense? Um, how has now the the language of it, of say of just talking about traps for one, but similar in any case, but with traps. You know, somebody sits down with just a kick drum and a snare drum and a hi-hat and you play some of the most monstrous grooves you've ever heard with just that. And there could be a thousand people sitting out in the house watching that and they're all getting it. Like, what are they getting? What is that? <laughs> these three, this guy's down there just whacking these three noisemakers with sticks and we're all out in the house just oh my god did you hear that <laughs> that's just weird to me right well it's weird because it's like a it's a combination of there is a primitivism to it and it probably speaks to something that um in our ancient dna i suppose but you're right like sometimes in you know, in, in a, if Neil Pert, if the Rush show stops and Pert would do a drum solo, or anybody does a three-minute drum solo, it's incredible. But it has nothing to do with what you've just been watching. You know, like it, right? Like Neil Pert drum solo has nothing to do with Tom Sawyer, in, in terms right. of like the, the framework of, of of a rock song. Now he's doing his own thing. Um, yeah. But yet it, you're saying the weird thing is why is it so resonant? with everybody in the audience who's going, and then they go, you know, they raise their hands and they love it and everybody's cheering and then he goes faster. But what you're saying is what are we responding to? Like, why are we so responsive to that sort of, that kind of primal display? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or how do we, um, maybe there's many, many labels, layers to it. Uh, that, that one being the most primal aspect like why what what is in people ultimately that you know, are responding to that and then that the the um, the language of it has so evolved that uh, um, that we can we can judge you know who's who's better <laughs> who's better and Who's not? Um, yeah, I, I still. Speaking of Bruford again, I, there was a quote I read once, and he, he said something like, um, "After whatever it had been, uh, you know, forty years or so of playing, he was still amazed that you could sit 
uh, be in a room with a bunch of musicians and count to four and music happens, which isn't just about the drums, but similar kind of, kind of idea. Like what, 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 what is that? <laughs> but yeah, specifically with, with drums that I still you know, don't understand at all what, it's just the thing that the drum set is a, is a, I mean, often referred to as traps, is derived from a contraption. <laughs> That's all it is. It's a thing. It makes a bunch of noise. But, or man, watch. Uh, talk about evolved, uh, very atypical sort of trap drum playing. A guy named Tony Oxley. He played drums on um, John McLaughlin's, uh, was that record, Ex Extrapolation? Classic from way back now. I think just after he had been playing with Miles. And Tony Oxley was a jazz drummer of the day who was a known guy. Uh, I saw him, well now, geez, now it was nearly 20 years ago playing at the Beijing Jazz Festival. Never seen, not just him, but there was playing with two other guys, but I I had never, ever seen anything like that. And this guy is not playing, you know, James Brown kind of groups. It would just, I guess what made me think of it was seeing the drum set as was just a thing that makes a bunch of noise. And, and man, here's a guy that really does play it like that. Like he has assembled this mass of odds. There's there's sort of a drum set as we would recognize it at the core of it, but he is surrounded by a bunch of other found things, <laughs> and that's uh, unbelievable. Just playing with noises, sounds, making music. Still, I don't know why we what we're responding to when we hear that kind of thing. But. I wonder, you know, when I was, I, when I was a kid, there was a, um, here in the Bay Area, there was a, a Japanese cultural festival every year in the summer. And they had the Taiko drummers would, would come. And I, that was, I looked forward mm -hmm. to that more than anything else. And these five or six guys just pounding away. Um, and it was incredibly thrilling as a nine-year-old to be watching that. I didn't know what I was watching. I just, it was a display. Yeah of muscle and, um, and athleticism and musicality. But I feel like my unsophisticated, non-musical uh, interpretation of what you're talking about is, you know, drums are the only instrument that mimics like a heartbeat. And so I wonder if, if drums are, are, the, are the instrument that we, that we respond to, because in many ways, maybe it has something to do with, with uh, you know, affirming that we're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's, I think there's probably a lot, a lot to that, you know, and not just the heartbeat, but um, rhythm is, can be found any, all over in nature, you know, and it, yeah, it could be that it's just that, that simple, it's so fundamental. I was just thinking that, um, like, who doesn't like, other than dogs, the sound of uh, thunder and lightning. 
Yeah. And what is that? But just a big boom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rhythm section. <laughs> yeah. 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 Same thing, kind of, I guess. When you are, when you're playing drums, do you do you sometimes feel? Do you confront yourself with the same issue of like I'm doing this and it's cool and it feels good and it's artistically satisfying and intellectually stimulating, but do you think like but but yet why am I deriving enjoyment even from playing? Like do you still feel that same question? That is such an interesting question. Yes, and I um, two times in my life specifically, I remember going through this experience, and it would happen after a period where I had not been playing much or at all. Uh, and one of the last time was uh, um. The, the, most, the most notable, was when I started playing with Mother Love Bone. I had just come home from uh, five months backpacker traveling around Southeast Asia. And even before I left, I had not been playing a lot. So then I started playing with these guys, and right away we were just playing all the time. And yes, I go through a... a a period of some days or weeks where uh, I know what I'm supposed to do. And so I do that, but I have this, this feeling of, but why? Why is this the right thing to do? Uh, fortunately, pretty soon that, that goes away and you, and you get um, uh, what is that that happens you get uh, uh, acclimated or back into the mode of uh, sort of uh, accepting or understanding that well this is the context and so uh, I guess at first it's a feeling of, yeah, okay, well, this is the context. And so I know that when you're like doing this, that this is the, these are the kinds of things you do. But you get, you kind of, you get spun up again and get back into it so that that all goes away and, the, and you're just back to operating in that world, in that mode without questioning it. Or you are what is that that happens? You just get um, or you just get back you just get back inside of it. And, like an and, it, then, it, it, and, then, and then it does become a, a universe of things. Oh yeah, okay. And then you really start to can work with that again. But there is a there is kind of a and, and and once you get back into it, you're not thinking about or feeling or even aware of, well, this is a bubble that I'm actually a sub-sphere that I'm operating inside of where this is the kind of thing we're doing. You just, that just does, that becomes the universe and you, and, th and then you're, 
you know, then there are a lot of things to be discovered. There's an in, uh, you know, infinite realm of ideas or details to be explored once you get into it. It's almost as if uh, accepting the limitations of something. So then the frustration of the limitations go away and you just begin to dig into what's, I don't know, now I'm getting kind of far out. No, no, you're, you're, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, the thing is, is like, I'm thinking that you're saying you're, you remember two specific instances where you were, had an awareness of like, I'm doing this thing. And then you sort of floated above the body and went, look at myself doing that thing. There was an awareness there. Whereas I am for myself, I'm the opposite. I can only remember two times in my life where I wasn't aware. Cause I'm always in that aware mode. Um, even when I'm sort of, no matter what I'm doing, if I'm eating a sandwich or I'm, or I'm on a date, you know, I'm always, I'm, I'm never able to sort of integrate into the moment. I'm always thinking about, that I'm in that hyper aware mode of what am I doing? Who, what is this thing I'm doing and how am I supposed to be deriving enjoyment from it? And I've never been able to get out of that mode. It's, it's a little maddening sometimes. Yeah. Certainly aware of that experience in others kinds of situations. Yeah. But, um, right. Fortunately with playing, only been those couple of times where it's just really been in that kind of strange, like you're describing sort of, out of body almost and observing rather than just being lost or consumed by it. It's like you're in the control booth and you're the, you're doing the, the play by play and the color commentary, <laughs> but you're also playing yeah. the game. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fucking crazy when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But you, but you say in, in your life, you have, in other areas, you've had that same kind of situation, like, oh, that, that awareness. Oh, sure. Um, oh, man. In fact, uh, you know, often in conversations. <laughs> like, right. like, for me, I don't know what, this, what is the trigger. But from the from the moment we got on the computer today, it I was comfortable, and we're just and we're just going. It's pretty, but it's felt pretty good. Just this morning, I got up real early to do a live radio thing, and um, oh my god, it was. Uh, <laughs> You know, then I'm, I'm just having this, uh, well, what, what happened? It's, um, for one thing, it was, it's been, uh, up, I don't know now, two or three years. So it's felt like an eternity of uh, weeks of um, a lot of the same, same questions, same answers. And it's just started happening where... Um, It'll be a question that if you know it's more or less the same question, and then I start to answer it, but I already am hearing my answer from another conversation days ago, and suddenly I'm just lost in the space of the answer somewhere. I don't know if I'm whoa, am I at the beginning of this? What where did I do I just try to 
engage as if I haven't had this conversation already, except I have. And anyway, so that thing starts happening of, of you know, I'm, I'm having a meta conversation with myself about right. the conversation that I'm doing, and it just fucked. Right. It's a meta conversation with yourself, and it's sort of like this bizarre loop. I made the mistake of I've been trying to date during COVID cautiously, of course, just a mask and a cup of coffee. But I've found that the what it is, it's just a conversation about the same things. And I've, there's information in my life about people I've lost that comes up. And, it, and I had the same, informa- same experience as you where it's sort of like, somebody asked me, like, you know, is your mother still alive? And she's not. And it's sort of like, I have to tell that story again to a stranger. And I keep making it a different iteration of it, you know, but yep. yes. and yeah. it feels like I'm going insane because it's kind of like, it's the same story with the same result to someone I'm never going to see again. And after this conversation, likely, um, and it feels very meta because it feels like I'm, it, it just feels absolutely bizarre to be doing that. So I'm in that aware mode of, oh my God, you're telling this story again to, you know, how stupid but it's about something so seismic and life-changing that it almost trivializes like, like the death of my mother. It's awful. I mean, it's an awful feedback loop to be. To yes. Be- yeah. Yeah. And do you, <laughs> after, after making your way through a retelling, have you ever thought, oh, man, I should have just said no. Every time. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. There was absolutely. I mean, it seems to me like, well, maybe that's a conversation for another day, or maybe know you better. <laughs> well, you I'll yeah. tell you all about the people in my life that are gone. Um, <laughs> you know, because it's like let's let's just talk about how how great of a day this is. But yeah, I've there. It's interesting because for a living, I'm a professor here. At, uh, I teach English, and there have been times where I've locked into a class where I'm not aware. There's this beautiful synergy, and um, the conversation is just dynamic and electric and it just takes over and my brain which is always in that awareness mode it just gets absolutely overridden with the momentum Uh, but that doesn't happen very often i mean i think that's just like this beautiful gift um that otherwise i'm hyper aware to the point where i almost i'm not really enjoying things because i'm always intellectualizing them that happens in yeah some cases Uh, fortunately Musically, rarely, but yes, I'm, I'm familiar with that in many other aspects of my life. And in most commonly and frustratingly, uh, socially, uh, I imagine that sometimes people have come away from the experience of trying to socialize with me thinking, oh, that was curious. <laughs> And it's not like I am not aware of all of it, but it's almost like that's the problem that I'm aware of all of it. So, are that, can you be misinterpreted as a as a social person? Like someone might think, "Oh, Greg was a little little tough one to hang out with. He wasn't that open." But I mean, but that's maybe it's an introversion. It is. That is exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Like it. Um, Generally, if I go out 
you know, I can't expect it to be a lot of work. Uh, but it depends on, you know, if it's a small group of close friends, that's much easier. Um, big party where I don't know many people. Once in a while, I'll have a night out like that where, um, man, it's just working. It's okay. It's I'm up and engaging. And, I, and while that's happening, I'm thinking, wow, there are people out there who have this experience anytime they go out. That's amazing. Because I do not. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it um, I guess it kind of just goes hand in hand with that. Um, introversion is the thing where you need to, it, you get tired. It's like, it's a lot of work to socialize like that. Even, even when it's going well, though it's certainly much easier when it's going well, but it's a lot of work. You need to duck out sometimes to uh, regroup and recover a little bit. Well, yeah, because I think that the, you know, what an extrovert is a complicated person because they're like a vampire because they, their extroversion, their energy comes from taking it from other people. Um, my understanding of when I was a kid, I thought an extrovert is just a loud outgoing person, which can be true, but they're, they're there. They're looking for people that they can feed off of. This is not, I mean, it, it makes it sound very sinister and, it, and it's not, but it's just sort of the way it is. And um, that, that sort of, you can be depleted being around someone like that, um, which only augments your your feeling of being utterly exhausted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, definitely. When you, um, it is. It is even more work to spend to spend time with somebody who's just on all the time. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. So are, are you very, you, I mean, I'm guessing that you must be quite good at being alone, like doing solitary activities. Yeah. Is that a comfortable place? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. One, one area where that is less uh, traveling. I'd love to travel. I have, I'm generally really comfortable to travel. I spend a lot of time alone traveling, but I do find the older I get, the less I enjoy traveling by myself. I don't know why that is exactly, but um, but in general, yeah. Loner, doing stuff alone, just been just fine. Yeah. You know, I grew up out in the woods, mostly. Spent a lot of time hanging out out there with my dog. Liked it. Yeah, right. When you when you were backpacking in you were in Southeast Asia, I think you said. Yeah, yeah. Were you alone? Uh, only for uh, in the, the beginning of it, and then I, I guess through a couple of points during this trip. Yeah, I um. I was there with my girlfriend at the time, and she had gone a couple weeks or so ahead of me. And when I got there myself, spent uh, maybe a couple weeks 
traveling by myself before we met up. And then at a couple points, we would split up for a while and then meet up again. And at the end, she came home before I did, and I spent some time by myself. Now, obviously, as a young guy, it must have been wonderful to be with your girlfriend, but you also probably enjoyed being being alone as well and exploring. Yeah, I think we both did. Um, yes, tra- traveling uh, alone versus with someone is uh, going to be a pretty different experience. You mainly you meet a lot more people when you're by yourself. Really? You know, other other travelers and locals, whatever you are. I think it's as, as simple as, or my experience of it was, um, if you're with somebody, you kind of automatically have a sort of a bubble around you. You know, and you're, you're just not as vulnerable or open or not reaching out in the same ways. Versus, um, <clears throat> there's a perfect example of it, 100%. Uh, I said that she came back before I did, and I went with her to the airport at Bangkok to drop her off. <clears throat> and by now, we had been there, not just in Thailand, but all over the place. It's been, Bangkok is kind of a hub you keep coming back to and passing through on your way to begin somewhere else. So it was getting real comfortable being there. And uh, I dropped her off. I, your option to get back into town from there is um, a relatively, ex- I mean, <laughs> I say relative because once you've been traveling in that mode, um, your, your uh, concept of economy changes. So in relative terms, it was an expensive cab ride back to town what people often do is find other travelers who are just arriving who are going into town and you split a a ride with them but some people i remember this happened in this specific case some are just arriving fresh from you know somewhere else home the states western europe and um they are not ready. They're a little bit freaked out by some guy who just seems to be walking around the airport with no bags who wants to get in a cab with you. (laughs) (laughs) So I did try that and I was, they, I was denied and um, it was late at night. I think there must've not even been any public transport. I didn't want to pony up for a cab ride myself. I made my way over some footbridge. There's a, I don't know, a highway right there. Anyway, I out beyond the airport, encountered a bunch of kids on their motorcycles, and um, got one of them to give me a ride back into town. And uh, you know that would not have happened if I'd been with somebody. Yeah, that bubble would sort of makes you not take chances. W- was there ever any kind of fear for you when you were um, traveling, or did you always feel a kind of fearlessness when you were in a different place? Rarely, any kind of any fear, and 
never, never anything real, real serious. You know? No. Had a incident with a being stalked by a couple of kids from sort of a dark street in Mexico once and I just turned around and told them <laughs> you think this is happening bring it on and uh, they turned around and walked away but uh, generally no no the people people all over the world are just like they are in your hometown you know if you if you flew to any city, any other city in the States, didn't know anybody, didn't have anything on you, maybe a credit card, you didn't know where to go, you didn't know how to get into town, you didn't know what to do, you would just start asking people and instantly you'd have all kinds of people love to help you out. Somebody'd offer you a ride even maybe, you know. It's like it's like that, really, everywhere. Do you think the appeal also of traveling is that you being, being someone who's introverted, but yet is able to go out into the world. Um, it's like, you're not Emily Dickinson. You're not, you're not like just right. Like staying in your room and writing poetry and tending to, a right. you're going out bravely into the world. Do you think that the, there is an appeal in that, in the sense that um, there's an anonymity so it's like you can be anybody. So you go out and you, it's like you're, like you're not even consciously, but you're just kind of, you can rebrand and just be who you are and move at your own rhythm and your own pace. Could that be the appeal to an introvert of, of traveling? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, yeah, I don't, I guess I don't think about that so much, the, um, that I can be anybody or as if I, would rather be somebody else. Yeah, they do. There is a freedom in that, in the anonymity, for sure. Um, yeah, just a guy here taking it in. Right, just a guy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Feel that to being just a just a guy. You can you can blend in, and because you can blend in, you can you you're free to basically do anything. Yeah. Yeah. What what's happened to you as you've gotten older and where doing that alone isn't quite as appealing as it was and doing it now doing it with somebody. So now you've, now you almost want the bubble or is that like, what is, what is that reflex that you're feeling? Yeah. I don't feel like it's so much the protection of that, that bubble, but um, just the sharing of the experience with someone you know, and maybe for others, that's a little bit different because that the uh, <laughs> part of my handicap is um, I don't I don't tend to just make friends with anybody. Yeah, I have that makes me think of one friend in particular I have who I think an astrologer told her that um, that uh, yeah, strangers to you are just friends that you haven't met yet <laughs> and that's i i thought that's pretty cool but that is not that does not describe me i'm still not consciously selective but just emotionally 
you know, I, it's, I have very specific kinds of characters that I bond with out of the world. And so I do spend a lot of time not bonding with a lot of people. So maybe that's, in my case, that might be part of it, too. That uh, There is there's a bit of isolation in that, I guess, that I have in the past sort of enjoyed. And maybe less so. I think about like what, what Kurt Vonnegut said <clears throat> towards the end of his life is he said that he was looking around and he thought there's not enough people, you know, in my life. And I, I think about that a lot because I'm, I'm though I'm, I can project an extroversion. Um, I think ultimately I have a really intro, I'm a writer. I have a real introverted um, quality to myself and I, I'm good at being alone too. And Sometimes I think <clears throat> that's not like the best thing to put on a resume because as you get older, you know, you find that like you kind of need people around. I mean, it's, it's probably yeah. a healthier thing than, than to not. And so, but the other problem is, is that as you get older, um, you know, you and I are in a similar age bracket. It's harder to make new friends. It's harder to, to yeah. get new people into your, it used to be so easy, but it's, it's, do you find that it's, it's more difficult to, Make friends as you get older? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but is that, um, I don't know, but is that because uh, you find yourself in fewer situations around new people or <clears throat> or is it different connecting with the people you find yourself around? Maybe even those. Sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I know what you mean. Well, when we were kids, it was sort of like, hey, so-and-so is having a party. Okay, I'll go. Um, but now there's not a lot of invitations like that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know the last time I was at a party, Greg. I have no idea. Um, and the situations are very controlled. It's, you know, they're very, it's a very controlled situation, so it's very difficult to um, 
get new people into your life. But I, I do feel that it's, that it's valuable. And I think it's really important, you know, as we get older to, yeah, I agree. you know, so anyway, it's, it's, it's very, very tricky. Um, I imagine you're a guy who's had a lot of the same friends for the last 30, 35 years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, many characters, real constants in my life by this, at this point. Yeah. And you, so you must yeah. be good at maintaining that, staying in touch, reaching out. I don't know. Yes and no. Sometimes I think not so much. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I guess that's uh, the ones that I that are still close. It's because I do. <clears throat> um, you know, it's not like a lot of time goes by and you think, oh, should you know, check in and see what's going on. It's more like we already have a, an ongoing. We do see each other frequently, and that's just the way it is, you know, mostly. So, yeah, that, I definitely I have felt in uh, often that I'm not good at. Uh, it's easy for those things to drift away. I found that too. Yeah, I think it's interesting that this last year has has been a. Um, an interesting one where it's sort of, I realized I was reaching out to my friends. Um, I have some friends I, I talk to every single day uh, on the phone and I, you know, it felt very natural, especially during a pandemic where you're sort of, you know, taking stock of things. Did, did that, did the year, the past year change that, the rhythm of your, of your friendships? Uh, it did somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. And there were some, <clears throat> There, there were a few people, a couple in particular, that I did make it a point to reach out regularly. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of sensing that uh, you know we had a common, common need for some contact and support. Is it easier to have a conversation with somebody who is specifically a, a musician, but specifically a drummer? Is there? Is there a certain kind of conversation? I was going to say rhythm, which which is the obvious place to go. But do you find that the vocabulary between two drummers is a very specific vocabulary, or is that just something I've created in my brain that <laughs> drummers talk differently than <laughs> other people? I don't have many drummer friends, so that might answer part of your question. Because um, <laughs> that's that's yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other thing that I, I just mentioned, and we don't have to get sidetracked. Um, uh, I'm not into drums like that, which would be a fun thing to talk about. But uh, um. I don't hang out with drummers specifically, and but I do sense. Let's see, that is interesting. I do get a sense, a a, a feeling off of them that they relate to the world in some way similar to that. I, there's, a, there's something. There's something in their personality or their presence that I do 
I feel there's a you know a commonality there, you know, a way of experiencing or seeing things. Yeah, but no, I don't. Um, I don't really hang out. In fact, um, I cannot. I may not have uh, any drummer friends. <laughs> I mean that are that are that are close. You know. Ah. Yeah. Kind of, one, but yeah, one. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you say you're not into drums like that, can you do you mind elaborating like what you mean by that? Yeah, um, uh, there was a uh, I once read a a comment by um, oh no, I can't think of his name. Um, oh jeez, a drummer. Great drummer, died a few years ago. It's on the tip of my tongue. Comes from a family of musicians. Some of them LA session cats. He was one. Among other things, one of one thing he did I always really loved was uh, he played on the title track to Tommy Boland's teaser. Porcaro, Jeff. Oh, yeah. I read a quote once where he seemed to be summing up kind of a feeling that I had which, about this when he said something to the effect of how he wasn't wasn't really into drums. He didn't he didn't really even in his case he didn't really even seems like he was implying he didn't really even play that much if he wasn't working. But whatever, whatever it was that he said, I've related to it. But in my experience is um, I don't, I don't really sit around with other drummers and talk shop. You know, I don't, um, not really into gear. You know, not. That, I mean, I, I love drums, obviously, but brilliant drummers out there I love listening to but um yeah I don't know how to size that up as if uh, you know drums are just for playing not for playing with <laughs> like uh, maybe one uh, one way to get some perspective on this I um, for many many years paid played basically the same drum set, you know, in basically the same configuration. I just, and it, and the <laughs> Stone Gossard, he's, <clears throat> he's an interesting guy. He's, he sees things and he had me pretty well dialed. And one day, there's something about, Oh, maybe I had just gotten a new drum throne or something. Something about my the packing of my gear had changed. And that was the thing that I just had it down, you know, forever. Just I know how to get all this shit into these boxes. And this is how it goes. And I can just do that and we're out of here. And yeah, you know, one this one day I had a new thing, and suddenly I'm just standing there confronted with, oh fuck, 
I said, oh, my shit's changed now. <laughs> and and <clears throat> it just, it's a fun moment, memory I have of Stone because he was there and, and he saw what was happening and he knew without me really saying much about it, he, but I'd say he kind of had me figured out. He, he could see what was happening without me saying much about it. But uh, and and commented on it in some chiding way. But uh, that <clears throat> I guess I mentioned that because that that I had figured out how to pack this stuff in a very particular way, and it just worked. Like I that it's just that I just this is my thing, and here this. What do we? I don't. I don't need to go get new, more stuff. I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> not that I don't, you know. Not that I'm, I don't like change, but in some ways, it, there's also I have a serious practical street practicality streak, you know, and uh, often would prefer to just not mess with something that's working just fine right so right, that that's part of my thing with drums is i like you know have a drum set and it works fine and what is there to talk about right <laughs> keep the economy i mean do you do you have a kid in your house or, or you, you don't you don't keep the kit yes yeah, all that all that said uh, i don't have those drums anymore and uh well when i still did have i had i had uh Three drum sets at one point, <laughs> and you know, had made a lot of changes. But also, by that time, I had kind of that <clears throat> that transition to having more crap to deal with. That kind of at the same time, I was packing them up and dragging them around less. So, right, <laughs> it didn't. Uh, I didn't have that that restrictive requirement anymore, kind of keeping things under control. When I first got really into music, I remember that the, I went from, from liking hard rock. So Alex Van Halen was, I remember being a Van Halen fan to suddenly becoming a violent femmes fan and the cognitive dissonance of, you know, the violent femmes drummer just had two brushes and a stand up thing. And he thrilled me if probably more than Alex Van Halen did. Now, they're both great, but, but Victor DiLorenzo was, to me, was so thrilling because I could see what he was doing and, and it was less mysterious, which made it almost more mysterious. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so that kind of minimalism is kind of almost what you're talking about where this idea that you, you, there was a kind of minimalist approach for you to the drums where you didn't need to trick it out. You didn't need to, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. You're right. Yeah, there's there's so much there in what you just said that um, you know, starting with less is more, and there's there is it's it's kind of more magical when oh my God, it's just happening right in front of me. But what's how how is that all? How is all that happening? Or which also takes us back to what? Why is this noise making so interesting? <laughs> right. Um, and. Um, yeah, uh, that 
something about that this the drum set the setup that I was mostly playing was um, well not uncommon you know we typically refer to it as the Charlie Watts uh, you know two toms and a couple of cymbals but around that around the when would that have been somewhere in the mid 80s <clears throat> Or a little early, whatever. When um, Roxy music was real big for a time, like doing, you know, in North America, doing stadium kind of venues. And uh, Andy Newmark was playing drums with them at that time. And I was only a little bit familiar with him uh, but I went up I saw them in Vancouver and just was unbelievable unbelievable what this guy was doing and I was not the only person in the room or this you know, soccer stadium that was feeling it at, uh, a, a few times, two or three times at least, during the set, Brian Ferry himself would pause to call out the drummer was because he was, and, and and so with this simple rig, you know, just driving this large band in the most remarkable way, ah, just flying, unreal. And so I was already kind of into that, you know, that oh, shit, this works just fine. And then seeing him do that, just, just sold. Okay. There you go. Look at that. It works. That's all you need. Yeah. When I first saw um, the, the Femmes play live, I thought, oh, drummers have legs? <laughs> <laughs> oh, who knew? <laughs> He's just standing right there in front of the stage. Um, and he absolutely kicked ass, you know. Yeah. But it was the same thing I felt at the Japanese festival when I was 10, watching Violent Thumbs. It was sort of like that immediate, that pulsing rhythm, that sort of like, hey, you're alive, you're alive, you're alive. That's how every beat felt to me. Um, and so, and you can do that with two brushes and a single, I can't remember if he had one, I don't remember what he had, but it was pretty, pretty spare. You could stand in yeah. front. Um, so it gets back to that question of like, why is it so resonant? Why is it so? And, um, you know, it seems to me like the more you indulge the big thing, um, it almost gets you further away from the immediacy, uh, although it serves a purpose and I understand that, but the immediacy of having someone in front of you just in a very minimal kind of way. Um, and in terms of rock and roll, you had a very minimal setup if you think about it. Yeah, it's true that the stuff does serve a purpose and there's context for it where, you know, Neil Peart is just part of the, part of the thing and it's, and it works great, but it, um, yeah, you can also say that something, there's a sacrifice <clears throat> in that sometimes. Yeah, if Neil Peart is is Shakespeare, there's also room for Hemingway, right? There's those the mm -hmm. 
poetry, then there's room for like short, beautiful, brutal sentences, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very well put. Exactly. So, I mean, like there's, you know, the hard rock drummers of the eighties were probably not playing in maybe the most intellectual way, but it was fine. It was great. It was, it's, it, they weren't the songs It served the songs, you know, it's like they, yeah. Victor Di Lorenzo wouldn't have been a great drummer in Y and T. Right. <laughs> right. It's like everything has its thing. So, um, you know, the intellectualism that, that you can bring to the instrument or, you know, sometimes there's no room for that. And sometimes there, there's more room for that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sometimes it's a, uh, it's just a distraction and, and other times it, it is, uh, you know, almost a required sort of decoration, I guess. Yeah. What is your daily practice? Do you have a daily musical routine or you don't think like that? Not anymore. Yeah. Um, certainly used to be, you know, growing up, but my routine was to just play as much as possible in the house now I don't know how my parents put up with it. I certainly I couldn't I could not listen to that racket but uh, I did and I played just all the time so that was my that was my routine then um, once I was in Seattle and playing in bands all the time that was pretty much when I played. Never uh, until I had my own house did I really have a, a place to set up and, and practice. Yeah, but I was, I was playing all the time. So now it sounds like you're not, there's not a daily. No, no. They're all set up, and I have a place that I'm fully set up to record and hear, and they're all set up to play. And, uh, you know, I'll drop in once in a while to be sure to have a moment of entertainment, be sure everything still works. Um, but it uh, it is not so fun anymore to just sit down and listen to myself play you know and i think that's probably kind of from experience um but uh, so no i don't have a regular routine about it now is that a bummer to report like when you say it's not as much fun as it, it was to sit down and hear myself is that do you say that with any kind of um melancholy or is that or is that okay does it feel natural to be yeah it feels pretty natural it only it's only a bummer you know when i think about what is that <laughs> when i think about how much fun it used to be <laughs> or then yeah. so well why isn't that anymore but it's not like you know i have other things that i fill my time with now it doesn't uh, it just doesn't have the same uh I know the the same doesn't have the same mystery in it. Some in some way doesn't have 
the same impact. So yeah, it's not uh, really going to have a you know a melancholy kind of feeling about it. Uh, I might I might miss it in a similar way to um, you know I also used to spend a lot of time just about every day in record stores. Yeah, digging through record racks and. Yeah, don't do that anymore either. Me either. I know that's starting to bum me out. I mean, I I still enjoy it when I get there, but I used to go, I used to go weekly, um, and I was in the record store the other day, and I thought, oh, I haven't been here in a while, and I didn't even realize, you know, not even because of COVID. I mean, I can't even blame COVID. I think I can probably count on one hand in the last five years how many times I've I'd been to a record store, but in the old yeah. days like any chance I had I would get in there and I'd, my heart would beat I would be thrilled to go in like today is the day I'm going to find something great um, and I'm haunted by this quote that, that John Hughes said uh, Very, I'm not sure it was fairly close to when he died but he had said when you get older your, your heart gets colder and, and I thought that's never going to happen to me but it sort of has <laughs> you know and I keep trying for it not to um, but like, there's music I can't listen to anymore. There's th- there there are things that um, that used to be so thrilling, and it, and they just aren't anymore. And it makes me wonder if maybe we're not supposed to be so monogamous to um, the things that we do. Maybe you're supposed to always be trying new stuff. You know, maybe that's the answer is to find that mystery and that thrill, or the thrill is found in the mystery and the unraveling of it, and not in rote behavior. Yeah, I think so. There's uh, an aspect of that um, that is sort of like you've uh, you've mined something pretty well, and okay, that's I figured that out, and then I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with moving on to another. You know, it's a kind of growth, learning new stuff. Um, yeah, it makes me think of a Tai Chi teacher I had a long time ago. Um, that something that touched on that. Something about how um, over time your form will change. And and uh, let it. Don't be attached to, you know, how it used to feel to do a certain thing or or the way you used to do a certain thing. But it just it'll just it'll evolve and go with it. Let it go. Yeah, and it seems kind of not so different, maybe, from what we're talking about. But I, I do know that ex- that experience of reflecting sometimes on how consumed I used to be by some things and how powerful they were, you know, that this record shopping was, man, that was a big one. And uh, now it's not like that. So, yikes, is that, uh, what's happened to me? Or, you know, am I, should I still be doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know that feeling. 
it's, it's disorienting. Um, and it's sort of, you know, I mean, I, I can see like behind you is your music and there's mine in the closet and, and it's, you know, it represents hours and hours of enjoyment. And, um, and I, you know, I, I still, I still love them, but I, they're not such an active part in my life in terms of the pursuit of it. Um, and I don't know why that is. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. And I, and I think sometimes I think like, Oh, this, this couple has been married for 60 years. And I think that's cool in terms, just in terms of endurance, <laughs> like, it's very well done. <laughs> that, that is, that is an achievement, but I'm not so sure that that ever really interested me because it feels, um, it feels to me like it is, there is no transformation. Although I could, I suppose someone could argue that within a relationship, you're always changing and the two of you change together. And that sounds great. But I do feel sometimes that um, there, that it's just simply a, a endurance and nothing else. And I think that the idea of, right, of, of challenging yourself, I'm not saying that, you know, you should be 90 years old and, and dating wildly, but I am saying that there must be a way of doing it in a way that's new um, maybe that's a bad example, but j maybe just taking up a new uh, interest, like even like <clears throat> started playing ukulele or 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 the game Go or something, like just or do, or doing or doing you know some kind of uh, bonsai. <laughs> I don't I don't really know, but I kind of think we're that we are meant to be doing that is what it feels like to me. I think so. I certainly uh, have done that. You know, throughout my life, um, borderline of <laughs> moving from one nearly obsessive focus to another. But, um, you know, whenever I get into something, I really consume it. Right. But, so, and yeah, for sure, consuming music and then making music, you know, those were a couple of things. Uh, Computers. I got into programming. Um, lately, I, ha I had motorcycles when I was a kid, but somewhere in my twenties, mid twenties, it um, <clears throat> was not part of my routine anymore. But I just, just recently got back into it and that's been my latest. Oh. I'm just that's really what I enjoy spending my time doing. Researching, working on. Yeah. Yeah, and that's there's the writing of them, there's the researching, there's the the mechanics of it. Um you know of course, my brain immediately thinks like, "Oh, there's something also very percussive about, you know, the engine." There's there's a some rhythm there, yeah. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> and traveling. In fact, yes, that is something that I had recently been thinking about. Exactly that. That um, I have always loved to travel, the thrill of that, the mystery of being, of feeling lost, kind of, of uh, being in a, another world that's unfamiliar, a thrill. I just love that. And that has 
faded a little bit over the years. I've certainly done less of it. It's been a long time since I've done that kind of intense trip, like those early ones. Um, but uh, motorcycles and the opportunity to travel that way has suddenly just triggered a whole oh. new interest for me. That's just like just the feeling of kind of reawakening an old uh, passion that um, the thrill of traveling is somehow kind of renewed. Get on the bike and go. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly that. Just go like in what direction uh, this way. Okay. And wherever that goes, that's where it goes. So, you know, the, 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 the through line here again is the, the Neil Pert through line, you know, about his whole thing with. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I only sort of, I guess I had heard about it, but maybe because I was not so focused on motorcycles myself, it didn't really register. But yes, more recently I have really become more aware of like that was stuff seemed to be a big deal. Something he spent a lot of time doing. Well, I mean, it, it, it probably saved his life. I mean, after the, the death of his daughter and his wife, he literally got on his motorcycle and disappeared for a year. And, uh, and that was how he processed his grief was just literally doing what you're saying, like which direction that way. And here we go. And he wrote a book yeah. about it. And, um, but yeah, so, it, so it's interesting that the, um, the again, the, the through line of uh, <laughs> Neil Pert keeps coming up. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, I, I think that in terms of like a creative project, getting on a motorcycle and seeing what, where you end up um, is, is pretty cool. Yeah, <clears throat> I love it. I love the idea of it. <clears throat> And uh, yeah, we're finally just coming into that time of year. So I do feel compelled okay. to point out that, that you, you'd be doing that alone, though, right? Because that's beyond a yeah. 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 <laughs> I have, uh, I've been trying to, I have a couple, two or three friends I've been trying to recruit. I think one, I just about got him committed uh, he's living in san francisco there you go right yeah so uh yeah you need uh well either way it'd be fun to do alone yeah and, well the cool thing is is that if you are even if you're with somebody the noise of the motorcycle you're not having conversations so even though you're you're hanging out together you still you know can have your kind time. of a hybrid yeah a hybrid experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. It could be the thing I've been looking for all my life. This may be it. We may have just figured it out. Um, Come with me, but but don't but stay over there. Yeah. Come with me, but I won't be able to hear you over the noise. <laughs> I really enjoyed just talking to you, and, and I and I appreciate your willingness to 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 do that. Oh, me too, Alex. It's really. Refreshing. It's fun. Totally fun, man. I'm, I needed it.
Well, that was a conversation. That was fantastic. I really enjoyed chatting with Greg. What a great guy. And uh, what a what a studied, intellectual, interesting person uh, he is. Great, great guy. Um, hope you enjoyed that. You're going to like The Living. Pick up the album, The Living, 1982. Pick it up because guess what? There's white vinyl. And there's a t-shirt. And it's awesome. You're going to want the whole bundle. Uh, go to Instagram and uh, look up Loose Groove Records. Instagram.com uh, slash... Loose Groove Records and uh, order it through them. It's uh, it's a great great document of a moment in time that uh, that has just captured perfectly the energy, the uh, the feral kind of spirit. It's it's great. It'll it'll make you feel young. What's what's better than that? And who's gonna say no to that? Who's gonna be like I don't know about this music? It's making me feel a little too young. Do you have something that would make me feel a little older and less energetic? Something a little more along the lines of, oh, I don't know, Lawrence Welk? <laughs> if you want to feel young and alive, the living is the way to go. AlexGreenOnline.com is the way to go if you want to find out what's going on in my life uh, professionally. Um, of course, I talk about it incessantly on the podcast, so if you want the quieter version visit my website. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. You can also email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Visit Bombshell Radio at bombshellradio.com and find out what makes our station tick. Now, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, leave us a rating, Maybe a nice comment or two. Would that hurt? And uh, tell all your friends. And make sure that they're telling all of their friends. And uh, let's keep that going until we take over the planet. Okay? But once I do, I promise I'll be a benevolent leader. Okay? <laughs> I give you my word. Remember I said it here. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Two Generations Stand from The Living, 1982. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio.
And another thing is the punk movement, like a lot of the movements, talk about tying all this stuff together, happens with youth. And because it happens with youth, these kids grow up. And by the time they hit 30 years old, they don't want to be angry anymore for any number of reasons. And you can't be angry all of your life. You can't rebel against something all of your life. Otherwise, it's going to be self-destructive.